Hello, everyone. It's Henry DeVries from Indie Books International. Welcome to this week's Marketing with a Book podcast. So we have some great information to share today about how to, I'll just say capitalize on your assets. I don't want to give it all away too soon. So how to leverage those assets you have in intellectual property and books and talents. Before we get with our guest, Allison Tabor, I wanted to go around and have some of our authors who are in attendance do our author roll call. If you could give us your name, where you're from, and your book title, that'd be great. Let's start off with uh, David Goldman, and then we'll go to Christopher Hodges. Thanks, Henry. Hi, I'm David Goldman. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I wrote the book, The Road to Happiness, How to Get What You Really Want. Thank you. Hi, my name is Chris Hodges. I'm in Denver, Colorado. I'm the author of Noble Automation Now, How to Innovate, Motivate, and whoops, I just got spotlighted, How to Innovate, Motivate, and Transform with Intelligent Automation and Beyond. Thanks, Chris. And now uh, Joe Palo and then Mark LeBlanc. Thank you, Henry. I'm Joe Palo. I'm in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm the author of How to Sell Nothing. And Joe, we're getting very excited. That book's about to go to a printer. We're getting there, yes. We're getting there. Um, Mark and then Mason, please. All right. Hi, my name is Mark LeBlanc out of Minneapolis. Proud to share with you that I've got uh, my first copies of Rainmaker Confidential, how top professionals make smart business development investments of time, treasure, and talent, co-authored with Henry, of course, and with Scott Love. Thank you, Mark. And then uh, Mason. Yes, hi, Henry and everybody in the, uh, in the Indie Books family. My name is Mason Harris. I'm in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm the author of The Chutzpah Advantage, Go Bigger, Be Bolder, and Do Better. Thank you. Thanks, Mason. Well, I'm going to play too. Hi, I'm Henry DeVries. I'm author of the book, Marketing with a Book. And I'm in Oceanside, California, which is halfway between San Diego and Disneyland. Thanks everybody for being with us today. Um, we have with us the author of Work Your Assets Off, Stop Working So Hard in Business and Life, Allison Tabor. It was a pleasure to meet Allison. She had just finished her book and published it. And we met up in San Francisco and talked about, well, what could you do to shine a spotlight on this book, to get more people interested in the book? And then the reflection of that spotlight is more people to have meaningful conversations about engaging with her as an executive coach. And there was a journey that she went through and she's here to share some of that journey with us today. Uh, please welcome Allison Tabor. Thank you. I appreciate that, Henry. And hello, everyone. Good to spend some time with you today. Well, let's, uh, let's go interview style here. Um, I think many of us have read our fair share of business books. What was the main message of your book? And what are you trying to get people to understand? Mm. 
Uh, I think the shelves are filled with a lot of what I would call self-help or business help books. And there, there's this, this focus on somehow how we can be better, do better, be more, do more. And I, I just felt like that was a book that needed to just call it out and say, that's, that's a BS approach. And, you know, we don't have to be more and do more and work harder and try harder. And, and there's a, a different, a different philosophy that I, that I, I subscribe to, and I found to be a very su successful approach to business and to life, which is, you know, how to really focus on what are you good at and what are you, what, what fuels you and what are others good at and how do you leverage your talents, your interests, you know, your style and that of others, and then make that be this, this leveraged experience. So everyone everyone is feeling gratified and energized and productive rather than trying to be everything and do everything. It's just, I think it's set up for failure and disappointment, no matter how much success that I found people were experiencing, they never felt it. They weren't experiencing that success because they were constantly looking to attain more or do more or be more. So it was a more, more search. Allison, I love that your book has truths in it. You're a truth teller. There's 12 truths. Um, could you share one of the truths as a, for instance? Mm, yes. Uh, so my truths are essentially, I, I focus on, let's say what some of the lies are. So there's some lies that are out there. And when I say a lie, you know, what I mean by that is, is, is there's a, a, a belief, you know, someone, you know, whether it's a societal belief or a personal belief. And, and then I introduce an alternative to that belief that may not necessarily be, be true. So, for example, one of one of the you know the the truths has to do, and one of the lies has to do with communication. And there's one that that people speak speak of, which is that people want to be treated. With, well, how do you want to be treated? So we have this truth of treat people the way you want to be treated. And it was a well-intended you know uh, virtue that was extolled. A lot of us probably were raised with this idea of treat people the way you want to be treated. And that was intended to mean you want to be treated with respect, so treat people respectfully. You want to be treated with kindness, so treat people with kindness. Well, that was taken so far and so literal, which has created a lot of challenge around communication because people often go around communicating the way they want to be communicated with. And there's a big news flash, which is not everyone wants to be communicated with the way you want to be communicated with. So the truth is to communicate with, with others and to treat others the way they want to be treated. So the emphasis is on they. So one of the truths that I introduce is treat people the way they want to be treated. And there's a lot behind that. What does it mean? Well, part of it is understand what people prefer. How do they want to be approached? How do they want to be communicated with? Some of us are introverts. Some of us are extroverts. Some of us want, or maybe we're even ambiverts where we're somewhere in the middle. Some of us want lots and lots of information and others are like, get to the point. Just tell me what you need. Give me the reader's digest first and you're killing me. Let's not drag on. So if you have a style you have a bias, conscious or unconscious, you have a style. We all have styles and we're not necessarily as aware. Some of us are more aware, depending on how much, you know, where we are in our journey of, of, of uh, enlightenment, so to speak. So if you're not aware that you have this bias towards, let's say, speed and, and you know, you want things fast and, and perhaps you're less patient and someone else is talking with you, well, Henry, I think we might, and you're like, ah, get to the point. We might what? Go. So there's, there's an antagonism that often happens 
without even us even realizing it. We unintentionally antagonize people when we show up in a way that isn't reflecting how they want to be interacted with, how they want to be communicated with. So the lie and the truth in this regard is the lie is to you know treat others the way you want to be treated. That is the lie that I wish to dispel and introduce this, this truth of treat others the way they want to be treated and learn what that is. And we can spend an hour just on that one topic alone, Henry, indeed. Let's go back in time. We're going back in time to pre-pandemic when people actually got together in a meeting. Mm -hmm. And for your book launch, um, you've heard the expression, go big or go home. Mm -hmm. You went big. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your big book launch at the theater. Yes. Well, that, I have to say, you know, just recently, Henry, that came up. I, I was at a retreat with, with CEOs. We were in Prescott, Arizona, and we were working on a life journey map because the theme of this, this retreat was journey forward. And in order to, to move forward, it's a helpful thing to reflect back on some of the highlights that helped to shape who you are today. And in the doing that exercise, one of the, one of the, uh, highlights and and a top highlight indeed was the day of my my pre-launch party, if you will. And I'll never forget the moment. It was actually my sister was my handler, if you will. She was there keeping me on task and and just organizing coordinating everything. And she just she tapped my shoulder. And she said, "Turn around." And I'm like, "What? What?" I'm like so preoccupied. What? What? Turn around. I'm like, okay, so I turn around and there was this incredible line all the way back to the end of the room uh, waiting to, to, for me to autograph my book. And that was an, an incredible moment for me because I'm, the, I'm the, the book fan, the junkie who stays, you know, goes to these conferences, stays at the back of the, you know, the line to meet the author, even if it's just to shake the author's hand, look at the author in the eyes and, and get a book or get an autograph, whatever it is. I've always been that person and all of a sudden uh, that was me. So that was extraordinary. Where I was and who I was with was also extraordinary. I was at the Paramount Theater in Oakland, which is just this incredible, iconic, historic, beautiful theater if anyone's ever been to it. So just being in this ominous place, this most beautiful, revered place was pretty special. And who was there was special. I had colleagues, I had friends, I had family members from all over. And, and that also was a reflection on, on who I am and how, how I am in my world, which is I, I'm inclusive and I have people of all different backgrounds and looking out at the audience, that was so evident. So it was just a thrilling experience to be with my tribe, if you will, of community, all sending support and, and love, you know, the word, you know, it's like, you know, I, I'm not the woo, most woo-woo person, you know that, Henry, I have my woo-woo side and my let's get busy side, right? And uh, right there, I was getting busy and having woo at the same time. It was pretty cool. And uh, it was just, a, it, was a, it was a special moment. Now, remind me, for 23 years, you ran a construction company, is that right? Actually, a structural engineering business. Structural engineering company. I'm so, sorry. So, yeah, I don't think that's a woo-woo person. I think that's no, a woo-woo okay. person. So, my husband was the engineer, and I was all things business. So, I was the CEO. I ran the business, and he was in charge of all technical-related you know, aspects of our business. And actually, that, that experience is what helped to form and shape my consulting today, you know, everything is experiential. And that's a big distinguishing difference for me as a consultant and a coach and a facilitator. All of that came from my 
hands-on experience of growing a, growing a business and um, changing a business, you know, going through different, you know, recessions and, and different, you know, economic times, having to, to change, you know, how you work, where you work, who you work with. So the, the audience there included some of my previous employees that were, you know, from the engineering company to current clients that are coaching and consulting clients and they, and they were there. So it was pretty, pretty uh, spectacular. So in our world, we say that when you get a book done, that's an asset. And I found that event to be leveraging the asset of the book because I saw relationships being created there that night, relationships being acknowledged, but relationships being strengthened. Uh, one of our authors who's on the call, uh, Mason, his book came out during the pandemic. He did an online version of a launch that helped with relationships that he had and build others. So it's just a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, you might wonder, well, how many books will that sell? Well, you're probably giving the books away. Well, how many speeches will I book that day? Oh, none. Um, you know, what publicity will it generate? Probably none that day, yeah. but the investment will pay off over time. Did you find that, that the investment of that day paid off for you over time? Oh, uh, incredibly so. And, I, you know, that almost speaks to, to the, the conversation that people have regarding sales versus business development. You know, people go to an event and they're like, I, I didn't come home with a piece of business. Do you really think you're going to go to an event, shake someone's hand, give out a business card and come home with a deal? And sometimes that happens, but that's, that's not really the, that's, that's not a realistic expectation. It's really about, did you form connections? Did you begin to create meaningful relationships with people. And then you can build on it from there. Uh, one of the things that I really love and I'm very proud of is not only did it support and enhance some of my relationships with colleagues that were there, but also them with each other. And you mentioned earlier, I'm a connector. It's true. I, I love that. I get an, an endorphin hit when, when I make a match, you know, maybe I, you know, maybe I, that could have been another career. Maybe I was a matchmaker or, you know, in some other capacity, but I, I love business too much to be putting people in love matches. So I do business matches. So that's what I do. And that night, there were some incredible connections. One of my clients, is he's a CEO of an IT company. Another client, she's a, hus a husband and wife business that she, she runs the business and she's a printing company. They connected. And so now they're working together. One is a vendor to the other. And it's it just business, business occurred as of it. How did it impact me? First of all, the credibility. Just like the book gives you, having a book gives you credibility for what you already may be expert at. So the book didn't suddenly make me smarter. The book didn't suddenly help me to be a good consultant or a better consultant or a better speaker. What it did is it, it, it gave me the credibility, instant credibility with people to allow me the opportunity to share my expertise with them. And so that's, that's something you, you, you just can't, how do you quantify that? How do you put a value on that? So the publicity of that evening continues on and the, the credibility of just, of not only just having the book, but having a book launch in, in a fairly um, prestigious location too. I have to say that definitely worked in my favor. Uh, that was more exciting than my official launch that happened at a local library, which was lovely too and had its own benefits, but it wasn't as spectacular as, as, as the first pre-launch party was where it was at for me. Certainly not. But I remember the library 
um, was good positioning. It was another reason for people to talk about the book. It was another reason to get some publicity about what you're doing. Um, so my, we, uh, I grew up on a ranch, we raced horses. And my father used to say, different horses for different courses. And that just meant there are different reasons for doing things at the Paramount versus the uh, library and somewhere in the East Bay. They're all good and they help out. Absolutely, yes. So and I'm curious now, the lockdown, the pandemic, COVID, mm -hmm. um, a connector like you, um, you weren't able to go live face-to-face uh, -face with people. What did you do to adapt during the pandemic? Well, just like I adapted with my engineering business and adapted in my own business, the pandemic was yet another invitation to, to shift, to pivot. And uh, I have to say, I think I'm a little seasoned at this. So it's like, I don't allow myself to sit too long in, in contemplation about things. So what happened was when the pandemic first happened, I asked myself, what would I do if this pandemic lasts longer than we all expect it to? And I came up with two thoughts. And one thought was I would invest in Zoom, which I did. My only regret was not enough. <laughs> I put some money into Zoom. I wish I had put more. Uh, so of course, Zoom was, that was, a, that was a smart investment. The second thing is I would invest in myself in the virtual space. I would learn how to present, how to speak, how to facilitate, how to consult in a virtual environment. So I, I immersed myself in a training. I became certified as, as a, what they call an exchange, X-C-H-A-N-G-E facilitator. And exchange is this, it's an extraordinary environment where experienced facilitators and speakers come together. And in that environment, I learned how to not only feel comfortable, but really master some of the skills that are necessary in a virtual environment. And what works virtually isn't necessarily transferable into person and vice versa. And I just knew that I had to get comfortable with being uncomfortable because I used to believe I cannot be energized unless I'm in front of an audience. I need to be in front of a group. I need to feel their energy. I can't, I can't, I won't do podcasts, Henry. I won't do, I was, I just had this, like, I had my own lie, right? My own belief system that it's not the same if you're not, you know, eye to eye with others. And that's really not true. So it's just different. They're different. Like you said, the library has its place, just like Paramount. Well, virtual has its place and live has its place. I, I look forward to the days where we're, where we have the choice. We can go either or. Right now, it's more virtual than, than live. I am doing some live events, less so in smaller groups. Uh, and I look forward to the time when, when it's, it's a la carte, our choice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to next year to a limited number of lives. I mean, I've done one live in two years, so it's nice to get back to some. However, I also invested in the virtual world. We recommended to all our authors that they do that, and I'm not giving a lot of that up. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, you raise a good point because that the lie that I had was it's not as exciting and not as rewarding to do this unless it's in person. And actually, some of my facilitating, I prefer to do virtually. So for example, I have I have CEO roundtables that I facilitate. So these are 
women business owners from all over the world that come together to, to work on themselves as leaders and grow their businesses. And these are, these are CEOs of multi-million dollar companies, but through the Women Presidents Organization, the WPO. And we didn't have a choice. There was no getting together in person. And when we did the virtual, what I found when we started to go back to in-person, it's, it's a lot harder and it takes a lot more time. So even if it's my local groups, because I have two local groups and one national group, my local group, I used to get on, on and off, right? So you do your, you have your meeting and you can do something five minutes later. Well, now it's like you have to drive somewhere for an hour and be there an hour earlier to prep the room and make sure everything is what, you know, how it should be. Then you're there an hour after. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So my four hour meeting now just turned into six or seven hours. Whereas before it was four hours. And, and so I had, it's more efficient to, to, to work virtually than it is in person. There's trade-offs indeed. Somebody called me next week. They want to have lunch. I said, what's that? What is lunch? What do you mean? <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I had that same reaction. So, so I, I think, you know, I always thought I was an extrovert and I think I'm more of an ambivert where there's times when I really appreciate some, some interaction, some live contact. And there's other times where it's like, hey, how about a phone call? How about even, even that's foreign now. Everybody wants to be on Zoom. Like every once in a while, it's energizing. Just can we just have a quick call? If we're if it's a five minute, like a logistical thing, do we have to jump on a Zoom for a logistical conversation that's going to take five minutes? So you're right. It's a different amount of energy. You can't go from Zoom to Zoom for you know eight hours and 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 not be exhausted. It takes more energy and it it's you have to plan breaks and and have some white space in between. We're finding with the events that we put on on Zoom that we'll do 45 minutes on 15 minute break. And the lunch break, we give them two hours. You just seem to need more air around your Zoom meetings and, and to keep that going. Well, let's shift gears. Let's talk about another subject you and I are both passionate about, mm. and that is understanding people. Mm. And ways to understand people better. Sure. And for 40 years, I've been a student of DISC. And I know you are a black belt in DISC. Mm -hmm. um, talk to us a little about DISC and how that's helped you in building relationships. Sure. Well, I could go back to the days when I had the engineering business. I discovered that as I was trying to motivate and lead and manage my team, I was getting different reactions from different people. And although it's, it's obvious that people are different, I noticed that I could say the same thing to two different people and get incredibly different responses. And I wanted to understand that because I'm very curious. I think if I came back with a different background, I probably would be, you know, something with neuro, neuroscience. I just love the brain and, and human behavior. So I was really curious about that. So I actually hired a DISC facilitator to come in with, you know, to my company at the time and facilitate a workshop. And, and we learned how we are all not hardwired the same. And there were some, some groupings, you know, like my engineers, you know, wanted certain things that my drafters didn't want versus admin. So we had some differences, but no one was, you know, it's not like you could put people all in just one bucket. You know, there were variations within certain groupings, if you will. So that was when I first, when I was first introduced to DISC, I knew that was a game changer. And no matter what I would do in my career beyond that, that DISC had to be a part of it because it was so profound and useful. And I'm the kind of person, I don't only appreciate learning something. I want to know how do I apply it? 
So it's not just, okay, being curious and learning. I'm not just someone who wants to learn everything. I want to learn something so I can do something better, smarter, different, right? How do I, how does that help me and others to, to have more value? So for, that's how DISC got started. And when I had my engineering business, I was a, I was a member in a peer group, just like these CEO groups that I now facilitate. I was in one of these groups, you, you know, it was basically for leaders who have, um, are running businesses, making hiring, firing, and strategy decisions, and have at least a million dollars a year or more in, in revenues. And I was looking around the, the group, and I ended up, you know, understanding all of their disc styles. And so disc just started, you know, it just kept growing and growing. And someone said to me, you know, your engineering company is just your canvas. You know, what you're really good at is it's it's people, and and you really understand. You know, you ask these very um, you know, very point on questions. You ask great questions and you understand people. And so that led me to go into coaching and consulting. And I use DISC as my foundational tool. So if someone wanted to work on strategy, great. Let's understand who you are and what motivates you. And let's do the DISC first. You want to work on your team? Well, that's great. Let's start with the DISC. So it was a foundational tool and I still use it. During the pandemic, I'm doing more DISC virtual workshops than ever. That's probably the number one thing I'm doing now, even more than coaching. The coaching was at the first part of the pandemic when the business owners were essentially business owners and, and, and C-level executives is who I predominantly work with. They were like, their hair was on fire. What do I do? How do I do this? What is the PPP loan? How do I get it? You know, who helps me with this? And so I was really like, I was sort of air traffic controller at the beginning and helping people with a lot of, of support and coaching. Now that we have adjusted to this new temporary norm, the next thing is how do I get my team to feel connected? How do I keep them engaged? How do I, how do I retain talent in a very competitive environment where people are paying, paying you know, my employees or offering my employees 30% more to go work with them? So DISC is now very uh, in demand because it really helps to understand each other I learn more about you. You learn more about me. We connect. We feel heard, which is what we all want, and we know how to how to connect with each other. It's not only insightful and supportive, but it also creates connection and it's bonding and it helps for collaboration. And that's what the executives are in search of right now. They they are looking for collaboration experiences so that people feel connected when they're split off in a hybrid in a world. If you haven't taken a disc test or been exposed to disc profiles, it's a recommendation you should look into this. One of our authors is an expert. And when she'll talk to me, she'll say, well, Henry, you're a very high I. I want you to talk to Mary. She's very high D. So get to the point right away. Don't talk about your weekend. Uh, don't ask her how she's doing. Uh, give her options. Or she might talk to somebody else about well, they're very high C, they're gonna need all the details. Uh, they, they're very exacting, so you need to approach them. It gets back to what you were saying, Allison, um, treat people the way they wanna be treated, right? Exactly. And by the way, you know, you, you use this word test just so if anyone else, you know, is out there, you know, thinking, oh, do I want to do that? It's really not a test. It's because you don't pass it and you don't fail it. It is just, you know, what your results are. We all have 
a certain amount of DISC in us. It's just, we have a different proportion. Some of us have a higher amount of one over the other. And what that, what that magic mix is helps to inform how we show up, how we communicate, how we prefer to be interacted with. So it's not, uh, not to say one is better than another or one is right or wrong. It's just understanding how they're different. That's critical. When I was first married, the company that hired me put me through a, a very elaborate version of it. And then you were debriefed by a coach and I thought it was so valuable. I hired him. I said, I want you to do it for my wife and I. Mm -hmm. um, I'm high I and she's high C. Mm. So he explained a lot of things to us. So when she said, do you want to take the garbage out? My honest answer of, oh no, I don't want to take the garbage out was not <laughs> the correct answer. Yeah. But I was being truthful. What I'm supposed to say is, oh, she wants to know, will I take the garbage out? And, you know, as you wish is the better answer on that one and take the garbage out. Um, now that's just a humorous example, but we get sideways with people all the time. Um, if somebody's a high S, which is more their team builder and they're, they're, they don't like to share a lot about themselves and we're asking them a lot of personal questions, uh, that's not good. Yeah. Um, so you just need pays to know. It's our bias, like the D, you know, they want results, let's make it happen. The I's wanna connect and relate. The S's are all about security and stability. So don't keep changing things. We're gonna go left, we're gonna go right. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They, and the D and I can be kind of intense. They're like eight, nine, 10 on the excitement scale where the S is a little more calm and, and steady. And so if a D or I is approaching an S, it could, they could bring a lot of energy that is overwhelming and even feels confrontational to them. And, and the C wants lots of information. So the D might say, oh, you know, we, we'll figure that out later. Let's just go. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Because they're, they're, they don't want to have any risk. They're looking to mitigate risk, whereas D is a risk-taking style. So, and not everybody's a pure D or a pure I. So again, you can have like unequal parts D and I. So, which lends very nicely to what I do. And my C is actually high. So, excuse me, my S is also high. So for me, I want to create results and I want to connect but I also have the ability to listen and to support. That's where the S comes in. And on the detail side, that's where I lean into. That's where I work my assets off, not the other, is I make sure I have great systems and processes and people to do the follow-up and the backup so that I can focus on the experiential results delivering. That's, that's as opposed to my trying to be an Excel guru and create all the forms and do all of that. That would make me miserable and I won't be great at it. So I make sure that someone who loves to do spreadsheets, I hire them to do the spreadsheets. I don't do all that. I just make sure it's getting populated and reviewed with the right information. Allison, I'm actually, I test as equal parts I and S. And the I person is the one who gives presentations and who's at the podcast right now. The person who works one-on-one -on -one with authors is that other person, the nurturing high S and it's about the relationships. I had a job early in my career at the biggest PR agency in San Diego, and the president called me in to her office with a note that says, Henry, we need to talk. Now, nothing in the history of business ever was good after you get a note from the boss that says we need to talk. But the principal so she said, let me explain something. She says, you're like two people. Mm -hmm. This one is this 
funny, outgoing person. The clients love that person. And then you've got this other side, which is very analytical, serious, like a professor. I hate that person. He's fired. I only want the, the happy, friendly person, the funny one showing up here, because that's the one the clients pay money to be with. <laughs> got it. So uh, you, you, could even, uh, you could even take a lesson on your relationship with your supervisor on this. Okay, well, any other lies that we should be looking at here? Hmm. Oh, there's so many. Okay. So one of the lies, um, let's see, how about we'll look at the, the, the lie that has to do with team, right? Because we've been talking about individuals a little bit, but one of the lies was that we have to do everything ourselves, right? Where the real shift happens is when you lean into the team that's aligned with their strengths, with their interests, with their talents. I just had this conversation with one of my executive coaching clients yesterday. She was, she was really upset because one of her employees of four years resigned on Friday and she was reflecting as to what she could have done differently. And it, you know, it was just a very emotional resignation with no, no notice. She just, I'm done effective today. Here's my resignation. And she, she felt that maybe there was something she could do about it. But one of the things that, that we talked about is, is she, it's been her show. It's like her show. And people, when, when you have others on your team, they need to feel appreciated. And they also need to feel that they are of value so that they are valued and that they are, you know, that they um, are valued and are bringing value to an organization. So if you as a, as a leader are trying to do everything and cover all bases, you're actually depriving your team members of an opportunity to contribute. And it also it can be interpreted as that you don't trust them or you don't believe in them. And so the implications of her being a bit of an over-controlling uh, leader uh, and, and being afraid to delegate, you know, really came back to to bite her. And she learned, you know, she, the, the lesson was loud and clear because is in hindsight a great teacher, right? You know, so she saw what she could have done differently. But here's what, especially business owners as they're scaling, you know, you can only take your business so far before you hit a wall when you absolutely have to delegate. And until you hit that wall, you may try to do everything because you have this, the other myth of like, you have to do everything yourself. And that's not the case. And, and you can have an easier, more gratifying, successful business if you delegate two people's talents, two people's skills, two people's interests. So that's why the curiosity part, like using DISC as a tool, I don't just use DISC. I use one that actually has three tools together, which is the DISC, the motivator values, and the attributes. So we get a holistic view of like, how do, how do they want to be approached? What matters to them? And what are, you know, what are their attributes and how does that match up to their role? So it's like having this, like a GPS, you know, set of coordinates to, to understand them. So in this case, you know, this, this belief that we have to do everything sets us up for failure. We also delegate sometimes to people thinking that they, they too can do everything. That's also a setup for failure. So if you assign as a leader, as a uh, let's say uh, whether you're a you know manager, a leader, a business owner, if you're assigning a task to someone without regarding their interests, their abilities, their style, you could be setting them up for failure. And so if they fail, I believe that failure is on you as well. So if you're not assessing and saying to someone, okay, 
For example, you know, I might say, Henry, now that I know you're an IS, that's people. That's right. You're an introverted, extroverted people person. It's a combination of people. If I try to bog you down in process and I give you process tasks and you're and I'm going to rate your success on your delivery of of a, a process oriented task that that could be setting you up for failure. No different than if someone is people oriented, excuse me, let's say someone who's, let's say process oriented. And I say, you have to go out and shake hands and kiss babies and bring home some business now. And they're like, blah, I, they're not going to want to do that. They want to go, let's say, populate those spreadsheets that I don't want to work on. Right. So that's the other myth. I think the myth is somehow that we have to do everything ourselves. I believe in bartering, delegating, assigning, anything that I, that I don't believe I can personally be successful at and be energized by, I look for how can I lean into someone else who will be energized and really great at that thing. So it's kind of like what I'll say, embrace your suck. If you suck at something, it's okay. Embrace it and let someone else do that thing that, that depletes your energy and, and they themselves are energized by that thing. There's always somebody who would love to do it. David has a question. Sure. Your opinion, and if you could explain why you feel this way. The question is, are people born with a certain disc profile and from cradle to grave, they have that? Or is it something that can shift over time, maybe, maybe even greatly? What's your view? Uh, it's an and as opposed to an or. It's a little bit of both. So it's a combination of nature and nurture. So we see this in families where there are multiple kids in the same house with the same set of parents, right? So let's assume you have two of the same parents and you might have, let's say, three or four kids and you can have very different kids. Same two parents, the genetics are the same, but how is it that you have Tommy, who's a super you know, introvert and loves to just read books, and then Susie, who is out there, you know, the cheerleader and, and, and wanting to be with people. So even though the parents are the same, there's some genetic. Now what happens is, how are they how are they responded to? So if they're in an environment, like let's say, you know, you have Susie who's outgoing, but let's say her parents don't necessarily embrace and appreciate that exuberance. They they think that's too much. They might be like, settle down, stop talking, you talk too much. You don't need to talk now. It's, you know, that it could be part uh, parental, you know, view, part, you know, just their, their culture and, the, and also culture that adds a whole other layer, but the cultural norms, whereas let's say the opposite, let's say you have a very introverted person in the family, maybe you have a family and family could be community, schools, friends, where you're met with some resistance to how you show up. Why are you so quiet? Come on, speak up, step up you know, man up, whatever you, and people start to feel like they have to start morphing. So people start to respond to that. So it's nature and nurture. We have a natural default, but the conditions that we're experiencing around us start to modify and, and cause us to, to show up in different ways that we are going to be met with more receptivity. Naturally, we are hardwired a certain way that we do have a default behavior and it shows up under stress. So we might modify behavior, and we can learn to modify behavior, being aware of what our default behavior and our blind spots, they're critical. By the way, everyone, when you study this and understand it, you don't need someone to take an assessment for you to know. Mm. There's two clues you look for right away about, is this person kind of close to the vest or are they talking about themselves? 
Um, there's a spectrum of that. And the other thing is, are they very task oriented or are they more people oriented? Um, there's a spectrum on that. And with those two pieces of data, you can have a good sense of where this person is and then respond to them. Mm -hmm. um, what, how do you do kind of the back of the envelope uh, cheating way of figuring it out, Allison? Well, there's the four styles and some of us are ambiverts. So sometimes it's, they're really close, but the first thing I can narrow down four choices to two. So the likelihood of a style, you process of elimination, the, the D and the I are extroverts, the S and the C are introverts. So if someone is showing up with a clear indication that they're an extrovert, they're likely the D or the I or some combination of a DI or ID. If someone shows up as an introvert, then they're likely the S or the C or C, you know, either SC or CS or combination. So that's the first step. So let's say I meet someone, they're very extroverted. All right, they're the D or the I. The second, second part of that is, are they process oriented or people oriented? So if they're all about the process as a D or I, the D is process. They are bottom line, let's go, results orientation, cut to the chase. The I is like, hi, how are you? Oh my gosh, you know, they're more exuberant and more want to connect. So that's the way I would do it. First, it's extrovert, introvert, and then are they people or process oriented? How do we know if they're people or process? How do we know if they're extrovert? We just have to stop talking for a minute. We have to listen. We have to look. The clues are so clear. They are so there. What they say, how they say it, the tone of voice, the, the, the pacing. If we're not knowing what to pay attention to and we're so self-absorbed and it's all about me, 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 and what I'm doing and how I am and my great book and my great expertise, we miss the cues. So that's why I say I'm a DI, but my S is high because I am very curious and I do want to learn and I want to know what's going on before I prescribe, before I suggest, before I do any of that. So I'd say the best thing we could do, pay attention, be curious, listen to understand, not listen to respond. If you do some of that, you, you will absolutely start to see the, you know, the obvious clues. And then what do you do with it? You could do nothing or you could, you could use that and say, oh, this person is giving me clues that I need to slow down. So slow down. If that person gives you clues to speed it up, speed it up a little bit. Stay true to who you are. Don't be inauthentic, but find a way that you, you can be you and that person can feel validated and hurt. It's a, it's a, it's a, a balance of, of that, that, that one can strike if they, if they are paying attention and they try. Allison, we're winding down. So a last question. If you were going to give someone one tip so they're not working so hard, but they're working their assets, what would that be? Well, I'll tell you, you know, that's like saying, which is your favorite child? Uh, and you're like, how does one ever pick? And I have one child, so that's easy for me. But, uh, but I also have like all my CEOs, who's your favorite member? Well, there is none. They're all great. But I will say this. I, I have 10 tips that I actually have. They're, they're in my book. And I'm happy to share that with your audience so that they can see all 10 of them and not just have one, you know, one tip. Um, would that be, would that be helpful rather than my trying to, to just give you just one? Sounds great. So the number one, I would say just as an overall uh, recommendation would be is uh, working your assets off means understanding and leveraging your strengths and that of others. So the tip is understand yourself, 
I mean, truly understand, understand others and then leverage that. Don't try to be things and, and people you're not and let people be them and have them be successful by leaning into that. So that would be the overall recommendation or tip, if you will, is learn more about yourself and learn more about others and ask yourself, are you aligning opportunities, projects, clients to your strengths, or are you trying to morph into and take on things that are just really stretching you beyond uh, what would necessarily be, you know, allow you to work your assets off instead. Thank you. I'm looking at a lot of the authors who are on our call, and I know what you've said has resonated with many of them in their work. So thank you for giving us an insight into your world and into your work and how you're shining the spotlight. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation and great to spend time with you. Okay, let's give it up for Allison. Thank you so much. And that's a wrap on this week's Marketing with a Book podcast. We look forward to seeing you all next week. Bye, everybody.